We all need a shot of encouragement to keep us going. A new beginning with Greg Laurie is sure to help in your journey of faith. Hear it twice daily. Details at vision.org.au. 2020, bringing a biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. Weekdays on UCB's Vision Radio Network. Find out more at vision.org.au. Hi, it's Neil Johnson and welcome to today's 2020 podcast. Remember, you can hear 2020 on the Vision Radio Network from 10 a.m. Australian Eastern Time. That's from 11 Australian Eastern Daylight Saving Time on the Vision Radio Network. Now to a really important conversation that some might find quite surprising because the Christian community has always been very activated about attracting people into the church community. But what about those who leave? Andy Frost the author of Losing Faith, Those Who Have Walked Away, says it's well past time that the church didn't just bring people in through the front door, it needs to attend to those leaving by the back door. And he's the director of Share Jesus International, and he's on the line now from London with Lee Hatcher. We join the conversation as Andy explains to Lee what got him thinking in a way that's very uncommon in the Christian community. Well, I actually used to be part of a youth group in a local church. I used to be about 20 of us part of that youth group. And when I looked around in my kind of mid-twenties, I discovered that actually nobody else at all was still in the church. Everybody had left the church. And for myself as well, in my teenage years, I kind of left my faith behind for a while. I had to try and pursue other things in life. And so I was really challenged, actually, what happens to that so many people leave the church in that kind of age profile and right across the different age profiles? I'd like to explore some of the answers that you got to that question from your own life. Do you have one example of one of those friends who left their faith of their youth? Why did that happen? How did that happen? Yeah, I've got lots of stories. I mean, from, from my, myself personally, I think, one of the biggest things was the church. And in the interviews I've, I've conducted into the book, the church keeps coming up again and again and again. Right. That people have such um, hopes for the church, but often it fails to live up to what the church is called to be. And so for myself, in my teenage years, I found the church extremely boring. And when I read the gospel stories and the excitement of what Jesus did, they seemed so different to the Sunday morning service I had to attend. And so for me, there seemed to be a, a kind of a failure to lit these things up, and so I ended up losing my faith and actually walking away from the church in my teenage years. What were the kinds of things, as you undertook this book, you conducted nine extensive interviews with people... As they opened up, what were the things that you learnt? What made their stories different? Yeah, it's a really interesting way of doing it, because rather than me just going in and having a set of questions, really, I actually asked them just to share their story. And as Christians, I can often want to rebut and give my point of view and my perspective, but by just listening for yes. two or three hours sometimes to hear their story unfold was a really important thing to do. There were key reasons that kept coming up in the different interviews. One of them was the issue of the church, but another big one was the presence of God, is that people often said, well, I'd never really experienced the presence of God, and they'd seen their friends maybe have specific kind of gifts or experiences that they didn't have and felt, well, hang on a sec, why have they got it and why haven't I got it? Maybe God isn't really real and began to question it. It's very clear the difference that someone makes just for once by listening to them. No judgments, no agendas. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing, actually, all the guys I've interviewed who lost their faith after the interview, after the three hours of listening to them, often said, well, you know, that was really interesting to kind of get off my chest. And even by doing it, they almost processed what had taken place in their life, some of the questions that they had. And from that point, they said, actually, Andy, can we meet up again at some point to hear your viewpoint, hear what you'd like to say back to those things? Because they actually still had a desire to 
engage, but didn't want to be told what to do. They want to actually explore and explain their story first and foremost. There are not a lot of people who do that listening in the Christian community. Again, we're more activated by our own agendas to take the time to genuinely ask why and listen and probably keep listening, I think, not letting them go and not loving them as Jesus told us. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the sad thing comes time again if you've left the church and the church has just kind of ignored them really, haven't done anything about it. And um, I think it's really important that if people lose their faith and leave the church, that we must continue to have a good friendship with them because actually we're called to, to love those people no matter what happens in their lives. Uh, but too often the church, when it's lost its person to help with youth, youth work or it's lost its person to sit in the pew, it's less bothered about actually helping them to... To, you know, to rediscover their faith, but also just to kind of be with them in, in that process too. To be driven by a sense of compassion and generosity, as you urge. But if we're following Jesus, why do you think we're not like that? I think a lot of the problem is about the whole church and how we do church and who we are as the church. Is that, um, There is so much hypocrisy in the church and things we do get wrong in the church, but often we try and shove it underneath the carpet uh, rather than being real. I guess my biggest issue, I guess, that kept coming through the book really, is people felt they could never really express their doubts. They could never really express their true emotions and their true feelings. So they had to put on almost a Sunday morning face at church to be a certain person they weren't. And I think it's really important the church creates space to ask questions, to explore doubts. Otherwise, it can become very dangerous. Andy, has it got something to do with how Christian people are taught or equipped to relate to people outside the Christian community, that too often they come to that engagement with purely their own agenda to pursue, that we need to be more relational than intentional? I think it needs to be both relational and intentional, um, but it's how that's done, really. It begins by loving people and sharing actually very much through life, kind of who we are. Uh, but I think there's a lot of pressure on, on Christians to feel they have to have all the answers when they're kind of sharing their faith. And in the church, there's no space to actually kind of ask some of those questions back they've struggled or wrestled with, really. Um, I met one church that I kind of did a little tour unpacking some of the themes um, last year. It was interesting meeting a church pastor who set up a doubters club in this church. Because he said that some people who had doubts before there was nowhere to actually go and explore them, and so he created a space for people to go and ask questions and debate the bigger issues that there were. Doubt can be threatening, though, can't it? Yeah, I think it can be, but ultimately doubt is a quest for truth. It's saying, this doesn't seem to quite add up, what really is the truth here? And um, I think when we allow doubts to come to the surface and we engage with them and we wrestle with them, we might not always get perfect, neat answers, but actually it's helpful to do that. If we just try and bury them and try and push them away somewhere, then they often end up doing a lot more dangerous kind of things in the long term. You're obviously very strong on the concept of silence, which allows for that listening that you spoke of. Yeah. Where does that come from and how do we do it? For the book, I really wanted to make sure I was hearing their authentic stories rather than what I thought was happening. And to do that, I knew I had to listen. And, and I think it's been a challenge for me because often I want to put my you know, two cents in really and say what I think. But by listening and just listening, it was a really powerful way to allow God to work in their lives, I think, as well. And, and so I've been really challenged by that, that often as Christians, we have to kind of share or give the answers or tell the truth. But in fact, we can spend some time just listening and when I look through the Gospels, I think Jesus often asked questions and then listened. And he didn't um, kind of have to, he had to kind of interject every, every kind of two minutes with his own viewpoint. There are those people who've grown up in nice, safe, secure Christian families and then go on to spread their wings and leave that faith of their youth. What would you say to future parents 
Christian parents about how they might better equip their kids to stick at it or not grow beyond the Christian faith? I mean, I think the four things that kind of came up as the big issues were, first of all, the church. I think it's important to tell our young people that the church is not perfect, that it is a bunch of recovering sinners trying to do their best. And when it works really well, it's a beautiful thing, but it can also do things pretty badly sometimes as well. And the second big area is where is God and the whole idea of how do I experience the presence of God. That is important that we know and understand that God doesn't speak to everybody in a burning bush. For some of us, it might be an emotional, tear-jerking kind of worship experience, but for others, it might just be a sense of looking up at the stars at night and having a sense of God's peace. And the third big thing um, was the whole idea of pain and suffering. Is, um, that kept coming up in the, book, in the book, different people exploring how suffering they'd experienced and how they ended up doubting God's presence in that and who God is in that. So again, it's another big kind of, I guess, apologetic thing to look at, is that we are going to suffer. There will be pain in our lives. Being a Christian doesn't mean we are immune to anything difficult, but it's actually how God can help us through those times. And fourthly, the big thing was um, that things don't add up. People often have heard many talks from the Bible, but nothing about the Bible. And so we have this kind of teaching resource, the Bible, but we never explain why we trust it, why we say it's the Word of God, and why we say we can rely upon it. So there was no foundational work done. So when people went off to university or went to go into a new sphere of life, they'd be challenged by their views on Scripture, would have no idea why it should be held as an important book. It's one of the things I've come to think myself in my later years, the importance of the history of the Bible and the Christian faith, that it stands up. Yeah, but most people don't understand they do stand up. They've only ever heard things from it. And so when you're challenged by you know, scientists and whatever else in your opinions, they can seem quite kind of woolly unless you've actually done some delving yourself. So I think it's really important we teach our, our young people, teach our young adults to actually engage with why we can trust this book and why we think it's important. Yes. One of the reasons you've written this book is to encourage the next generation of the Christian community to do better in this arena. How much more challenging do you think that generation will find both being Christian and remaining Christian? Yeah, I mean, I think the world is becoming a um, very, very different place to live in, really, and so particularly the kind of secularist um, onslaught and the work of Dawkins and things has, has raised many questions, and um, we live in a very sceptical um, society, I think, sceptical of Jesus, and we have a challenge there to work at how we pass on the baton of the Christian faith to the next generation. Um, but I believe that God does work in miraculous ways, and God will do his thing, but it's important that we... We, we grapple with the important issues, and uh, lots of the book had actually raised questions rather than just given answers. And rather than here are some try answers to give, we must go and explore and wrestle and come to our own understanding. Andy, what's the degree to which this ongoing connection with those who leave the faith is driven by that love, that concern, that compassion? And how much of it is driven by the desire, understandably, to see them return to the fold? It's both, really. I mean, first and foremost, Leah, I mean, uh, having heard their stories and heard often what Christians have done to them and how they've ended up in such a broken place, I, I just want to apologise and say I'm sorry for the church and the church has done these bad things, that the church is a people group and we almost need to forgive somebody within the church for what's happened to you, but that place of forgiveness is an important place to begin. So I think that's a huge thing, just saying sorry to them um, and loving them. Um, I would love to see them come back to faith, but... Um, only I, I can't convert, only God can convert. So that's for God to do, really. But my job is to be there and to love them and to care for them and to journey with them. There were some who left and then returned. Can you perhaps tell us one of those stories where that happened that would best deliver a message to us, the Christian community, about how we might do better? 
yeah, there's a great story about a guy called Chris who was um, went off to boarding school and was a kept in a very kind of strict kind of Christian family, and then he uh, rebelled when he left uh, boarding school and became an extreme skier and got very involved in the kind of drug scene. And for him, he hurt his back, and um, he was very anti the church. But during a, a, a period of time, um, people prayed for healing for his back, but they also just loved him for who he was. I didn't try and push their agenda on him, but they were there and made themselves available for him. And they gave him opportunities, and they shared life with him, and they tried to help him get back into work and all kinds of things. And just by being there and loving him, uh, he began a journey of rediscovering his faith and his back was actually miraculously healed. It wasn't just a miracle, it was the fact that people cared for him and loved him and are willing to kind of take this risk on praying for his back as well. Like what you've just heard? There's more great podcasts or you can listen to us live at vision.org.au And remember, Vision is listener supported. Your donation of any amount will help us continue connecting faith to life. Learn more or donate today at vision.org.au